0: Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher who's losing her voice in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, and I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related curriculum, classroom management, FSA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. Today I have Harley Brown with us. She's a junior from the University of Minnesota in agriculture education. And she is going to help us understand more about something that's so important, incorporating social justice into the egg classroom. So let's dig in. Hey friends, I have with me a very special guest. This is Harley Braun. Harley is a junior at the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, studying agriculture education with a minor in racial justice and urban schooling and an emphasis in sustainable agriculture. So she is like an all-around rock star, star, and I'm so excited to have her on. Um, You will have to excuse my voice. I am getting over a cold, but I was so excited to have her on. I didn't want to cancel or reschedule, Um, and I'm going to let her do all the good talking today. So... Uh, Harley, if you could go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be awesome.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me on again, Hannah. Um, I, Like Hannah said, I'm a student at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, and I'm studying agricultural education. I became involved in agricultural education because I grew up in a really rural community and was involved in agricultural education classes at my school, and I was really involved in FFA as well which led me to the University of Minnesota. Um, and since being at the U of M, I think being here in the Twin Cities and taking um, some of my different coursework has just really broadened my horizons about all that there is um, available within the education field. So that's just what I hope to talk a little bit about today.
0: Yeah, and so I was asking Brandon Reger, who was a previous guest, who he thinks would be good to have on. And he was like, Harley has some great stuff to talk about. You should definitely have her on. And I was like, that is so good. Um, So we talked a little bit about you talking um, about empowering underrepresented communities in agriculture and in agriculture education specifically. Um, So kind of getting into that, what does empowering underrepresented communities in the agriculture classroom look like?
1: I think that the first step to empowering different uh, communities in the ag classroom is just taking a step back and recognizing that you as a teacher don't hold all of the knowledge and but you do hold a lot of power so you as a teacher have a lot of power to give other people voice and give other people the opportunity to share the knowledge that they have Um, and that can look like seeking out and having different people from different backgrounds come into your classroom or just highlighting their voices and their perspectives when you are putting together lessons.
0: I really like that. Um, I did a training this past, it's almost a year ago now, and it talked about, it was for females specifically, um, like in science um, and technology engineering courses, and they said that Um, A lot of times for those um, groups that don't typically see themselves in agriculture, or in technology, it's really important for them to be able to see someone like them in those roles. And so having um, someone that looks like them um, or has similar experiences as them come into the classroom can be really beneficial for them. Uh, what are some common lessons if we're thinking about agriculture teachers that we should maybe be rethinking?
1: I think that um, there are a lot of lessons that teachers may be doing because it's something that they did when they were in high school or it's something they learned about and have never really taken the time to analyze that lesson and think about what some of the underlying themes are there that they're teaching. So I think when it comes to all of our lessons, we should really be analyzing what narratives we're sharing. And that starts by, you know, asking ourselves, so who is the center of this lesson? Wh- which groups of people are not brought up? And a lot of the times that's usually underrepresented or traditionally marginalized groups of people, whether that's um, people of color, whether that's people in the LGBTQ Plus, community whether that's women or people with disabilities um, oftentimes these lessons that we have that are that um, are super common and we just pull out of our back pocket they made they aren't highlighting those communities and they're just perpetuating norms
0: absolutely and I even myself being completely honest like my introduction to agriculture class thinking about how I teach like the history of agriculture, I like have completely missed that part. And it's just, I've pulled lessons from other people and I've, you know, put in things of my own and have completely missed like, you know, like slavery in America and just things that are really important and have impacted agriculture and need to be talked about. And um, so that's something that I'm kind of thinking about as I'm moving into Um, next year, teaching that class, and how I might rethink those lessons.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's not to say that that's necessarily anybody's fault, because I know that teachers are working so hard, and trying to put together these lessons, and sometimes you just need a lesson to teach that day, but at the same time, it's important to recognize that what we are teaching is sharing information, and shaping, like, the, the students in our classroom, and if we're not sharing about people of color if we're not talking about slavery or um the genocide of indigenous people or talking about Jim Crow laws and how those things are all connected to agriculture they all are and if we don't talk about that then our students won't know that they are connected
0: yeah I think that's really important um you had mentioned something about um like nutrition as well in some of your notes. Um, do you want to touch a little bit on that part?
1: Yeah, I, I had tried to come up with some specific examples of, some more specific examples of lessons that teachers may be teaching that they don't realize are um, maybe leaving out certain communities. And one of them is when we're talking about nutrition and talking about um like my plate or the food pyramid i'm not even sure which one is um the correct <laughs> one but <Yeah. laughs> um, those dietary guidelines oftentimes are not culturally relevant they're they're based off a specific culture's diet and they're not very inclusive of um, of all of our students of the diets that they may have
0: yeah i love that i think that's really important and something that I I actually just heard this on the news. Um, I don't know, it was a while ago, like one of the morning shows had talked about nutrition um, and that like teaching it and being culturally relevant when you're teaching it. I thought it was so interesting. Um, You have another one that's climate change that I think is a good one to talk about as well.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times when we talk about climate change, we just talk about The way is that climate change is maybe impacting our environment or impacting just everyone. But the truth is that climate change is disproportionately impacting people of color and low income people. And that's true in the United States and across and across the globe. So I think that that's a really important narrative that we need to share that. We climate change is happening and it is causing detrimental things to happen to our environment and to all people but also we need to be um, extra concerned about different people of color or people who are lower income because they're going to be the ones that are harmed even more by climate change
0: great yeah I totally agree what are what are like the common myths or some specific roadblocks to watch out for
1: I think one thing that um, teachers are oftentimes very scared about is being too political. Um, I remember when I was in high school, none of my teachers ever wanted to say anything that could be construed as political. But I think that it's important to remember that as teachers, literally everything that we do is political and shapes our students' lives and shapes our students' perspectives. And so when we're teaching, um, we're doing a disservice to our students if we aren't sharing the full truth of our history, if we aren't sharing all of the narratives and all of the stories of all people and not just certain people. Because even if you think you aren't being political, by or sorry, let me rephrase that. If you don't want to be political so you don't share the stories of different marginalized groups sure. you, st- you still are being political because you're just um kind of hiding history and helping history repeat itself
0: yeah that's great I I totally agree with that and it's the idea that if you don't say something you're still you're still sharing a message
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that's great yeah. um oh i was just gonna say one more yeah. myth. i think is that a lot of people think that talking about social justice or um talking about different political things isn't relevant or isn't connected to agriculture which is 100 percent not the case if you actually look more into it if you're when you're looking at food and agriculture as a whole um, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, they have made contributions and are c- continue to make so many contributions that are advancing agriculture and influencing our global diets and how we grow food. Sure. And, and it's, it's doing a disservice not to give credit to those people who have greatly contributed to what our agricultural system is today. Like, if you're not giving credit to indigenous people for teaching Europeans how to grow food, then you're not telling the story of agriculture um, the way that you should be. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, and also, like, there are power dynamics in our society that also influence agriculture. So when we talk about, you know, world hunger, or we talk about, climate change or we talk about, um, you know, pollution or those kinds of things, those things are also connected to social justice issues because they disproportionately impact uh, marginalized communities like people of color or like poor folks or, um, or other communities that have been traditionally marginalized. Sure. Uh,
0: So when we're thinking about like a curriculum that's driven by um, social justice and really implementing um, kind of a holistic approach with like inquiry-based learning, what are four tips and tricks that you have for that?
1: My first tip would be to really check yourself because...
0: (laughs) As I always tell my
1: students, check yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because before we can tell anyone else anything or try and teach anything, we really need to make sure that um, we ourselves are are checking our biases, are checking our preconceptions. We may have been taught things in the past that. Um, are not necessarily true or are not the full truth. And we need to check ourselves before we can um, try to change that narrative. Sure. Um, and then secondly, I had to uh, look outside yourself. So first you need to ch- check, you need to look inside yourself. Yeah. And then you need to look outside yourself because other people our resources to you, um, especially when we're talking about social justice things. Um, I'm white and I know that a lot of other agriculture teachers, I know that the majority of teachers in general are also white. So if we want to be talking about social justice, that's great, but we need to be lifting up and empowering uh, the marginalized voices that are experiencing it on the daily because they can tell their story way better than we can
0: absolutely i love that
1: look in your inside yourself look outside of yourself and be able to
0: kind of check what are your biases and then what is outside of you what type of identities are different than your own that you need to be looking at
1: mhm and then i would say that whatever lesson it is that you're doing or whatever activity you're doing just always be questioning which perspectives or which narratives you are centering is what the narrative that you're centering is who you're talking about mainly white people is it mainly white men are those the only examples you're giving or are you also using um black people indigenous people uh, other people of color disabled people women um lgbtq are you using them as role models or are you only centering certain narratives
0: So questioning perspectives that you are centering.
1: Yes. And then the last thing would be to have an an asset-based mindset over a deficit-based mindset. So a lot of times when we're talking about social justice things and social justice issues, we focus a lot on the issues. We focus on all the things that are going wrong, all of the ways that people are being oppressed, um, which for people who are a part of those communities, that can feel really draining. And that can feel really tiring to just hear about all of the bad things that are happening. Um, So something that I try to do when I'm doing my lessons, and that has helped me is to focus on what are the good things that are coming out of Uh, food justice movements, out of environmental justice movements, who are people that I can highlight and bring up as success stories? Because that is more inspiring and more motivating for your students than just hearing about all of the bad things. It's important to teach about the bad things, but at the same time, show how others are working against those oppressive structures and being successful. I um, just listened to, I feel like an
0: old lady when I say this, but I was listening to Oprah's podcast and she had <laughs> a, a man on there that he had done research on hearing um, and being surrounded by positive, um, positive stuff. And he had some really crazy t- statistics, but um, stuff like people who watch the news um, versus people who don't watch the news and people who don't watch the news are less depressed or report feeling more optimistic. Um, and his whole idea was that you surround yourself um, with people who are positive um, and just with that idea that you're asset-based, like what are the good things that are happening um, even in this world that is is sometimes a little bit frustrating and um, depressing to be in so um, that was a cool one and I think that goes along really well with what you're saying about the asset base over the deficit base like that we it's important to teach about that stuff like you said it's important to teach about um, some of the less um, what's the word I'm looking for <laughs>
1: maybe less yeah, glamorous or less yeah, exciting. <laughs>
0: Um, things in agriculture, but looking at like you said, what are the positive things that are happening? What are those great movements that are happening? And um, I I'm really happy you brought that up because I think it's really important.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you search hard enough, there are so many amazing organizations or businesses or just um, speakers that are doing the work already. It's just we need to look for them and find them yeah so uh,
0: I um I have a question as I was doing a lesson on so I teach a couple sections of floral design um and I my uncle just recently passed away so I brought in a bunch of the funeral flowers and I have four sections of this so my first section I taught all about um like celebration of life flowers from my own perspective so the funerals that I've been to and then the next hour I was like just starting class and I'm like oh my gosh I totally did not think about any of the other students in this classroom who may experience a funeral different than me Um, and so I was this was just kind of on the fly like Okay, this is how I experienced a funeral. This is what the flowers were. These was This is where the flowers were arranged at the funeral. Um, this is what some of the flowers meant to my family. Um, but then I asked students, you know, what are your experiences with funerals? What, what have you noticed about the flowers at the funerals? What do, you know, celebration of life. Um, events look like for your families and they shared but I'm a little bit curious to see like in that situation or for that lesson thinking about talking about funerals and um, the flowers that are present at a funeral how you might approach that um, in a way that would be um, inclusive and just thinking about all of my students in the class.
1: Um, that's a great question. I think that what you did sounds like a really great way to um, incorporate your students' perspectives, especially on the fly. Um, I, I feel like if I was planning that lesson, I would try to find maybe some different resources that showcase different, like, celebration of life events in different cultures or in different countries. Sure. But at the same time, recognizing that even if you find something, for one culture that may not be representative for the entire you know for everybody in that culture so I think I think it is still important to get your students perspectives if they're willing to share not forcing them to share but if they would like to to talk about specifically what does their family do or um, how do they practice within this their specific culture yeah,
0: I, it was interesting because there were some students in that hour that were willing to share. One student had told me that, you know, we do not have any colored flowers. They're just all white at the funeral. They're all white. Uh, and so that was interesting. Another student said, you took those flowers home. No one in our family ever takes the flowers home. Um, and so it was just kind of interesting, too, because I had students um from similar cultures and they had different practices um and so I thought that was a cool part that kind of got woven in um like you said just because you maybe are uh black or maybe you're mom um that sometimes the same practices are not they're not the same just because they're in the same culture and so that was something that I didn't plan but it did um it did end up that we covered it in that manner
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that that's really great that you recognize that and we're able to kind of acknowledge that um, and make it make a change really quickly, because not every single lesson that we have is going to be perfect. And it's the really important thing is just being able to recognize like, oh, hey, I'm actually leaving a really important part out from this lesson right now. So how can I fix that? Um, That's the first step is recognizing that we're um, that maybe our lessons aren't sharing the full narrative of all of our students in our classroom. Yeah. And I actually had one of my
0: coworkers during lunch. um, I was kind of sharing with her and she was asking about my podcast and stuff. And she's like, wow, like, how do you just have time for all of this on your lessons? And I was like, honest, I'm being like 100 percent transparent. A lot of times, I plan my lesson, and then, I'm like the night before, it comes to me that I like left out this piece. Um, and on my way to work the next day, I'm figuring out like how can I change this or how can I tweak it so that um, I'm really being inclusive and, and like sharing all of my students or like um, encouraging my students to be a part of um, what we're learning and share. Um, and sometimes it's me, right when I get to work, kind of figuring on a couple of different um, things that I can share with them as well. So, uh, so yeah. when we're thinking about our students, I think it's important. And I was curious to ask you this question, but how can we help and support our students in navigating their own bias? Um, one
1: thing, if you notice, a student saying something very explicitly biased or doing something very explicitly biased, I think it's really important to, in that moment, um, talk to the student and ask them maybe, why why did you do that? Or what did you mean when you said this? Um, Like, where did you learn that? And, And how do you know that that is true? And just kind of asking those questions in order to get them to think about it because a lot of times they're probably not going to listen if you say you can't say that because of this but maybe we can help them to reflect a little bit more on why they're saying certain things or why they're doing certain things yeah Um, I think those
0: conversations are really important too in building rapport with students Um, and really just like being able to like not not shame them you know like being really curious about why they are saying certain things or why they might make a comment in a certain way. Um, And so I really like that, how you kind of have this questioning technique because I think that in my experience, it's been um, fairly well received by students.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing that uh, teachers can do for more for their whole entire classroom. And I, I brought this up in the book study that um, Hannah and I are in, but it's teaching about dominant narratives. And uh, there's a lesson um, by the University of Michigan that um, is all about dominant narratives. And I think that there are a lot of dominant narratives within agriculture, like that we need to feed the world or, or different things like that. And this lesson kind of helps you analyze those statements or those ideas and think about where did they come from and are they and are they true. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good skill to have just to be able to analyze things that you're hearing or things that you're reading and think about who does this benefit? Um, Who is this leaving out? Is this true? Is this the full truth? Um, And if you can teach your students those skills, then they'll be able to go out in the world and and recognize um, things that even if you're not able to to teach them directly they can they can learn themselves yeah
0: i really like that idea too because i'm like such a huge proponent of or supporter of like i am not going to be super concerned if my students do not remember the principles of design and elements of art when they leave my floral design class but if they have skills to be able to pick apart and really think about things, um, that's what I'm more like interested in and more concerned about. And so I like the idea of having a lesson like that, that really helps them question those dominant narratives and helps them think about them. Um, so that is a lesson, like you said, through uh, Michigan, right? Yeah, uh, and so what are some other resources or support that you would suggest for agriculture teachers or anyone in general um, to take a look at?
1: Yeah, um, so one um, organization—it's called Soulfire Farm, and that is a farm. I believe it's based in New York, and it is owned and run by a woman of color and the goal of the farm is just to try to connect more people to agriculture and try and shift some of the food systems and food availability and they actually have um, an entire curriculum based around food justice and based around um, the environment and other skill building things too and community building so that is a really great resource there's also the um, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education um, Center. It's called SAIR, and they have uh, another K through twelve curriculum guide as well that um, has a lot of different lessons that are already a little bit more environmentally justice or, or socially justice based. Okay. We're, yeah, and those I think those are really good resources that you can look at and maybe tweak to fit other lessons or fit within your classroom, or you can see how are these lessons structured and how do they talk about these issues so that you could apply that to other lessons or, or other um, issues within agriculture. Oh, I like that. I like when you can just take bits and pieces and
0: kind of make it your own. Are there any others that you want to share, support your resources?
1: Um, Yeah, there Is also there's I found a couple other um, lesson plan guides or different toolkits, um, and one of them is from John Johns Hopkins University, and it's called Food Span, and they have an entire lesson on the food system as well. So, and the lesson itself is um, very good at questioning some of the dominant narratives we have and also including the narratives of people who are not usually included when we're talking about the food system, like um, farm laborers or factory workers. Um, And then there's learningtogive.org and they have a food security and food justice toolkit. And that's based out of Canada, but I think that the lessons themselves Oh, wait, this one's based out of Detroit, sorry. But I think that the lessons themselves um, could be used anywhere and are really great at getting students to think about food access and, um, and food justice in their communities.
0: That's great, I like that. Uh, is there anything else I should have asked you but I didn't or maybe something that you want to quick cover or anything like that?
1: Um, I guess I just want to say that I um, am not like the end-all be-all resource on this and that I'm sure there are a lot of things that I missed because I'm still learning too. So just recognizing that this is a learning process and that we all just need to be continuously working at looking inside ourselves and looking outside of ourselves and, and questioning what things and what narratives we're sharing in the classroom because um, it's a, it's a process and you're not just going to all of a sudden wake up and be there. It's going to be something that you need to work at every day. And it's something that I'm still working at too. So the best way we can learn is to reach out to other people um, and try and learn more. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think that, I hope that it makes,
0: um, you know, the listeners feel like it's okay. Like, Just do your best. Um, I, uh, like I said, and have shared and being very honest, a lot of times this is kind of a afterthought when I'm thinking about my lessons and I'm really trying to make it be more congruent. But uh, I think just having the idea that you are, you're working on it and you're just being reflective of, okay, how did that lesson go today? Um, How did that interaction with the student go today? what can I do better um, or how could that have gone differently or what could I have said differently and, and being okay with sometimes it's not going to be the best um, and so I, I really really appreciate you saying that.
1: Yeah and I think an important thing too is remembering to talk to our students so you know ask our students like how did that lesson go today? Did did you feel like you learned or or what did you feel like you learned about or did that feel uncomfortable to you? Why did that feel uncomfortable? Was it because it's just something you've never learned about or was it because the way I presented this wasn't um, very inclusive and made me feel excluded? You know, it's like I think it's also really important to be in conversation with our students because ultimately we're doing all of this for them and we want them to be learning and feel comfortable in in our classroom. Yeah,
0: I like that. And I think just like a little tip for that or what I was thinking about while you were talking about that um, is in our district, we have to do like student surveys um, twice or three times throughout the year. Um, and they're just um, like anonymous digital surveys where you can ask the students questions. Um, and it made me think of that because I've had a survey come back um, where the student said that I like didn't out or they weren't always comfortable in my classroom for whatever reason. Um, and so like those that kind of feedback is so important. And I think that you could do that on a scale with a lesson where maybe you just have a quick exit ticket that's digital that says, you know, goes over some of those questions that you've you asked or you um, talked about. Um, so I think that might be a, an easy way to do that and get some of that feedback that you're looking for if you're not comfortable having the conversation with the students. Uh, anything else that you wanna cover? No, I, I think that's oh, okay. it. Um, so this is my favorite part of the podcast because um, I get to know a little bit more about you. So my first question that I'm going to ask you is who has had the most influence on your career um, in youth work?
1: Yeah, 100% my agriculture teacher, Mary Huffman. um, She's the one who really saw a lot of potential in me and reached out to me to become more involved and try to reach that potential. And she inspired me to become an agriculture teacher and has really just propelled me on the path that I am today. And we're still good friends and I love checking in with her. Um, so she's just been a really great influence on me as an individual and also career wise. I really love the Ag Ed world for like that reason because I still will
0: like call and check in with my agriculture teacher. And I just like it just gives you warm fuzzies and I have students who call and check in with me and I just I love the agriculture education world because I think that that's something that's kind of unique to us. I mean, I'm sure it happens in the other areas, but I feel like a little bit more so on aged. But maybe I'm a little bit biased
1: as well. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like the aged community is very connected, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, because I like to think of
0: myself as a foodie and I like new restaurant suggestions. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant?
1: Uh, one of my favorite restaurants in Minneapolis is Hamburguesos El Gordo. And I always get the classic um, carne asada tacos. they It's just beef and onions and cilantro with their salsa. And they're like the best tacos that I've had in the season. Oh, I love you some tacos.
0: <laughs> they are my favorite. <laughs> uh, and last mm-hmm. question for you. What are three of your simple pleasures?
1: um number one always ice cream i have my own hashtag on instagram about how much i like <laughs> ice cream <laughs> and i'm i have a goal of trying to go to every ice cream shop in the twin cities Ooh, how many have you gone to uh, do you know uh, I do have a list somewhere, but I haven't gone to many since summer ended. So now that summer is going to begin again, I need to get on. It. Um,
0: I did notice I was just scrolling through your Instagram earlier this week. And you do have a lot of ice cream pictures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, oh, and then my other simple pre- pleasures. I really like having my nails painted. It just really bothers me when they're not painted. So when I have a nice fresh coat of nail polish I always just feel really good Um, and I also just love swimming outside and being in the sun Um, so as you can tell summer (laughs) is my favorite time of the year because I get to have ice cream and I get to be outside in the sun (laughs) yeah
0: that is awesome I love that (laughs) Um, so one last thing if you could just let our audience know how they can find you
1: yeah I'm on twitter at harley Brown1, H A R L E Y B R A U N 1. Um, one. Um, and usually I just retweet things about agriculture or about social justice kind of related things. Um, I'm also on Instagram if you want to see some of my ice cream photos <laughs> um, at Harley underscore 17.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. And I am so excited. Um, for everyone to be able to listen to this podcast um, and get to know you a little bit better.
1: Thank you so much again for having me. Um, it was a great experience.
0: You just finished listening to episode five of Egg with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about incorporating social justice in an A classroom. For show notes, please visit my Instagram at Miss Wedger for more info about our chat today. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you want to be a guest. I would love to have you. Please just send me an email at eggwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week. uh, And we will talk to you soon. And hopefully next time I don't have a um, Phoebe Buffay from Friends Voice. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody.